Cold Clap presented by Audi Flatirons. All right, Joel, we got a lot to a uh, lot to cover here. Uh, where to start? Where to start? Well, just kind of your your overall reactions to what was a lot closer than expected Rocky Mountain Showdown. I mean, that it was it was it was must watch TV. Nine and a half million people watched that game. That is wild. Our data expert at Fox, Mike Mulvihill, has suggested that it might be the most watched cable program ever to start after 10 p.m. Eastern in history, in history, which is wild. And it's the Rocky Mountain Showdown. It couldn't be more regional. So that's that's number one. And then on, on the field, gosh, there's so much to get into. Let's just say, like, for the majority of that game, Colorado State really was the better team. They they executed better for the most part outside of the penalties, and obviously that's you know everyone you know got on me because I at one point said on Twitter like hey you know Colorado State looks like the better team they're the better coach team at this point Colorado could not adjust to the shallow cross route at all they tried to play man they tried to play zone nothing worked um, and and Colorado State was able to sit there and play with a light run box you know four five six guys in the run box based on formation and personnel group. And Colorado couldn't run the football. So, like, for the majority of the game, I'm just sitting there like, yeah, I mean, the Rams are going to win this game and should and should. Here's the problem, though. Here's the problem. When you play, when you make coaching decisions at the end of games in particular, and, and those decisions are more out of abdicating your responsibility rather than going out and winning the game, you're going to get beat. And so when you don't go for it on fourth and two when you should and you put it away, even if it's at the two-yard line, you allow what has become the most clutch player in college football to walk on the field and sure goes down the field and scores. When you don't go for two, when the opposition makes a horrendous mistake and takes the ball in the first overtime, that's a gift. That is a gift. They took, a, they took the ball. They had their choice. They took the ball. You go out there second on the road. And if I were to tell, ask Jay Norvell, Hey, Jay, this is before the game. If I were to say, like, you've got one snap to win the game, would you take it? He'd be like, absolutely. He had two chances, fourth and two, and then the two-point conversion. And in both cases, he played it safe, and he went the opposite direction. That's the reason Colorado won. That and some untimely and undisciplined penalties, obviously. Next thing that I would say is that I, I am disappointed. And listen, you don't, you don't garner a lot of... You know, well, let's just put it this way. Coach Prime does not get criticized. I'm about to. Neither coach last week did anything prior to the game to turn down the temperature, period. Now, you can say it was great. That's why 9 million people watched it. And you know what? You, you might be right. But what we saw in the first quarter and really throughout the rest of the game from the CSU side was – a team that was drunk on emotion and passion and they were not in to the level of detail that you needed to be in. And it's because neither coach turned down the temperature at all throughout the week. I believe that's one of the reasons why we got so many penalties. And in particular, the one that everyone's talking about against Travis Hunter. And I think that the coach's responsibility are to be the adult in the room and turn down the temperature when needed, and that was needed last week. 
Hey, let me ask you, the, the big concern for me coming out of that, and all those things are, are great points, but the big concern focusing on CU was I thought they got dominated up front on both lines of scrimmage. Yeah. And and that was, I looked at that like, wow, when you start playing Oregon, USC, some of these teams, that will not, you cannot play that way. What was your takeaway on just the the physical aspect of the game where CU, I thought, you know, got thunder punched a bit? The I think that the defensive line for Colorado is a little bit better than their offensive line, and yet their defensive line, yes, they they did not play well. And I don't I don't know if it was schematic. They seemed out of sorts on defense. They did not have answers for what was going on. Maybe a little less time, you know, thinking about sunglasses and it being personal, and more time in in the schematics. Like, let's just be honest. And you guys know me. I'll, I'll call a spade a spade, and that's a spade. Um, on the offensive line, this is the one that I don't think is is as correctable because that was the weakness coming into the season was their offensive line. Now they're struggling a little bit with depth on the offensive line. And, Mark, as you know, when when you can't run the ball against a light run box, you are dead. You're dead as an offense. The quarterback can't do anything, the running backs can't do anything, and the wide receivers can't do anything because the opposition – can play advantageous pass structures, which makes it really difficult to throw the ball. This is why Shadur is holding on to the ball more in the last two games than he did in the first game. Is because they at least had some semblance of quality run to keep TCU honest, and they did not have that in the last two weeks against Nebraska and against Colorado State. Put it simply, the offensive line has to play better. I would be embarrassed if I was a part of that offensive line with the way that they played. They won the game, and everyone's celebrating, and and good for them. That offensive line has to get better. If they don't, they're in for a rude awakening when they face a really good Oregon team whose strength is line play. So, you know, like, watch out, uh, because the next two weeks you're going to face some teams that are what I would consider above-the-line teams in college football. If I call you an above-the-line team, I think you're a team that can go to the playoff and potentially compete for a national championship. For the first time in a long time, we have more than two or three in college football. I think we have 11, and Oregon is one of those teams. Visit with Joel Klatt, presented by Audi Flatirons. The Henry Blackburn hit on Travis Hunter was? You know, cheap, dirty, uh, uncalled for, um, and... And yet, I am 150,000% with Deion Sanders. In no, in no world or universe does that mean that he should be receiving the types of feedback he's receiving as far as death threats or, or anything like that is concerned. Um, you know, his job is to be physical. I, I do think that I do think that he was looking for Travis and wanted to hit Travis regardless of if it was legal or not. Let's just put it this way. Henry Blackburn is is lucky that he plays college football and not NFL football. Because in college football, we are we are so disheveled and and broken apart and operating in our silos that there's really not an overarching governing body that would look at that hit and have jurisdiction to say, hey, you should probably sit again. And now whether he should be suspended or not, that's not for me to say. I'm just telling you that in college football, who really makes that decision? Is the Mountain West going to make that decision in particular because it was a non-conference game? Does his coach sit him down? 
In the NFL, Henry Blackburn would not play next week. Why? Because there is an operation and an overarching governing body, in this case the commissioner, that would make that decision and move forward accordingly. In college football, we don't have that. We're way too fragmented. So while we can sit here and I can honestly say, like, listen, I believe that that was a, a bit of a headhunting exercise. And yet the repercussions of that I, are much more ambiguous at the college level. Yeah, you know, what's interesting for me on that particular hit is, like, I've been there. You know, where you try to clean somebody laid off the pile, and you realize, like, you're so hyped for that game. Like, I I guess I look at that and I say, I understand. I, it doesn't make it okay, and it was late, and it was egregious, but I understand it because I've been the guy. Like, I've been the guy that said, man, I'm going to clean this dude off a pile, and, you know, the whistle blows, and three steps later... <laughs> You know, I'm getting hammered with flags. So, I, you know, there's a, I think there's this real – I've had this argument with Mike back and forth. Like, there's going after a guy, and then there's intentionally trying to injure a guy. And I don't believe I, – I, I just look at Blackburn. I don't believe he's trying to intentionally injure a guy. But is he trying to go after a guy? Yes. And I think I there's a tough, there's a tough juxtaposition fact, fact, there. The evidence that I don't think he was trying to injure was that he didn't go – really low and he didn't go really high like it's the equivalent of throwing at a batter and hitting him in the ribs did you intentionally try to hit him yeah you did but you weren't trying to end his career by throwing right up you know up at his temple I think that's what you're trying to say right mm -hmm. I, I, and I think I'm reading between the lines and I agree with you but this is this is why it's an incumbent it's incumbent on coaches and adults in the room to turn down the temperature because I can tell you this, when you put 18 to 22-year-olds and you ratchet up the emotion all week, this is the product of that, you know? And and again, like, I, I don't think it was on the up and up. But it's it's also kind of like, you know, that's, that's what it is. Even Travis Hunter kind of says, like, yeah, man, like, that's what it is. Heck, man, I got... I got hit against Miami in 2005 and Mevin Shapiro, a booster for Miami paid John Beeson $500 for basically like knocking me out. Like it is what it is. Busy with Joel Clyde, Audi Flatirons. Joel, let's move over to the Broncos. You're the quarterback in you yeah. and the Bronco fan in you that uh, looks at what happened on, on Sunday. Looking so good and building well, a twenty-one to three lead, and then for the second week in a row, sputtering in the second half. Yeah, that 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 was it. Was hard to watch, even as as exciting as it was early. Um, I can tell you, and maybe this is the pessimist in me. You, know, you look across the NFL. You know, the Cardinals are hammering the Giants. It gets close. The Giants end up winning. Like you're not generally just going to run away from a team in the NFL. Mark, you know that. Yeah. This is not college football. Like, every game is a one-possession game. So even at 21-3, to three, this is not a, a – I think that we get duped into believing, like, oh, they're so much better, they can just run away. No, no, no. Like, every possession is still critical because the opposition will get it going and you will get stopped at some point. So what does that what does that mean? Well, it means that you can't give away possessions. And I hate to say it because I thought he played pretty well, but when 
when Russell fumbles and then just starts pointing like he's down and doesn't dive for the ball when it was right in front of him, I immediately gasped watching it, and I was like, nah, it's a turning point. Because now all of a sudden you, you create energy and you create optimism for the opposition. And what happens? They were able to generate points. And then all of a sudden, who's got the momentum and, and has the flow of the game and has the schematics of the game in their advantage going into halftime? It's Washington. And now you're in trouble because it's a one-possession game by the half, even though you had dominated the majority of the first half. So that's what I was most concerned with, to be honest with you, is, is that you, the, the sense of urgency that you have to have for every possession and the value of every possession in the NFL is, is just so high. And when he fumbles and kind of nonchalantly is like, Oh, you know, it's like, how did he not just go after? I just don't get it, man. I just don't get it. Like that, that's immediately when I thought to myself, even at the point in the game that it was, I thought to myself, that's not a good sign. Yikes. When I saw it, Joel, it reminded me of Super Bowl 50 when Cam Newton fumbled and then he was just holding the lantern watching everybody else jump on the ball. And I'm like, yeah. dude, that like, and, and I guess my final question for you is, is that a cultural thing with this football team? Is that something that like until they can overcome that and understand the importance of those things, this team won't win? I don't know if I could generalize it across the whole football team because I'm sure if you put, you know, there's 53 guys on the roster. If you put 51 of them, 52 of them in that position, they're going to try to dive on the ball. Mm-hmm. I think it's a quarterback thing. I think it's 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 ingrained in quarterbacks. Let me give you an example, and you'll know what I'm talking about. At practice, like sometimes you'll fumble the exchange as a quarterback the center quarterback exchange, and the ball hits the ground at the feet of all the offensive linemen. Now, the first time that this ever happened to me, I dove on the ball immediately, even in practice. And the coaches lost their minds, lost their minds. Do not dive on the ball next to all the legs of the offensive linemen because they didn't want some silly, fumbled snap. I'm going to dive on the ball. Like, quarterbacks are ingrained for years to protect themselves, not endanger themselves, don't dive in at it, like don't hurt anybody. And and I'm not trying to give Cam Newton or Russell Wilson a pass, but at times I can I can see that trigger in their mind. And and it's it's tough, I will say, having been in the situation, <clears throat> it's tough to break that. I can remember fumbling a snap in that same Miami game. I think it was actually the play that John Beeson knocked me out, to be honest with you. And, like, I took a step and, and, and realized that, like, crap, the ball is on the ground. So, Mark, I don't want to say it's a cultural issue within the locker room, right? I, or culture, mm-hmm. not cultural, but a culture issue within the locker room because I don't want to generalize like that. I think that it's more a problem with quarterbacks specifically. Who you got this week, Joel? Well, <laughs> Oklahoma at Cincinnati. <laughs> All right, have fun with that. All right, it's good. One. Yeah, yeah. Maybe some skyline chili. This is why. Know. This is why you're a pro. Because not every game can you run on emotion. Sometimes you just got to buckle down to be a pro. That's right. Hey, man. 
you know, it's, there, there's a game in front of me. I'm going to call it to the best of my ability. There you go. All right. Joel Klatt, pro. Thank you, Joel. Thanks, Joel. You guys, you guys are the best. Later, boys. Joel Klatt, presented by Audi Flatirons.